Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Rank Squad and welcome to Ranks FC. It's the third in our series of season previews ahead of 2023-24. And today we're looking at France's Ligue 1, the home of young talent, as they say in France. Today I'm joined by two very special guests. First up, I've got Mr. Peter Rutzler of The Athletic. Peter covers Fulham and PSG for The Athletic. And he's going to be talking to me about all things PSG in part one of this podcast and then in part two I'm going to be joined by Luke Entwistle who is the senior editor of Get French Football News he's going to be talking to me about the best of the rest we're going to be asking if anybody can mount a title challenge Marseille 
back, Leon come back, Lille, Nice, Ren. We're very excited about Ren and Monaco as well. So without further ado, let's get stuck into France and let's start with Peter and PSG. Welcome back to Ranks FC, where we're starting off our league, our season preview at the very top of the table. We're going to be talking all things PSG in Paul, and I'm delighted to say that I'm joined by the Athletics' very own Fulham and PSG reporter and a very good friend of mine, Mr. Peter Rutster. How are you doing, mate? I'm very good. Thank you, Jack. Very good. Very nice to be with you on in a different setting. Do you have like a different approach? Am I going to get a different voice from you? You're not wearing a different hat or anything. so. No, I, it, it, there's no different hats. My, my hosting style tends to remain relatively consistent. <laughs> so uh, I don't think you're going to be in for any nasty surprises. Um, but look, Pete, you've had an interesting time covering PSG since sort of February, March of, of last season. It's been a bit of a ride, I think, is probably the easiest way to say it. But this summer feels like a summer of renewal. And there's a lot of change afoot, and we'll come on to Mbappe. But I think more than any of it, a new manager has come in in Luis Enrique. And for the first time in a little while, it feels like, one, Luis Enrique has accepted an off approach from a club because he feels that there's something there for him to work with. And he's kind of been out of work for a couple of years after the... Spain job and you kind of look at it and go what is this you know what are you waiting for and obviously this opportunity at PSG has come around I think it's interesting in itself that he's taken the job yeah no I'd agree um we had that long period where he was linked with quite a few of the top jobs in Europe um and I think it's quite Maybe it can be seen as a boost for PSG because they've, the, every appointment is sort of a, a new start, a fresh start, a new era. But I suppose for them this summer, there's a lot more that's different about what they're doing and what has happened that suggests it actually might be that there's more to it than there would be. Um, and I think one of those things is the fact that Luis Enrique has agreed to take the job. Um, clearly, he feels enough is there. There's enough synergy with what he would want to do with the control that he would like to have to build a team in the right way he's spoken about building a project having the right tools to do that um now the first one of course is they've opened a new training ground at Poissy which is west of Paris I've lucky enough to have a walk around that and it's it's incredible I mean compared to the Camp de Lodge it's um it's uh it's another universe really um so you ha- he has that there but also the squad changes and I'm sure we'll talk about that in a minute, but there's quite a fair bit of renewal within the squad. Um, I think there's some interesting elements to that squad where you think, are they going to suit what Luis Enrique wants to do? But in general, you can see that there's a there's a page being turned. Um, you know, they the Nassau Khalifa has come out and talked about well, new start. You know, no one above the club, and I think that's partly why these few months that I've been covering the team have been so hectic and chaotic because you had. Lionel Messi, you know, having the book thrown at him for his unauthorized trip for missing training, where probably in the past it, it wouldn't have happened like that. Yeah. Um, and of course, everything Kylian Mbappe, um, which I guess is the is the counterpoint. It's you know, it's that's the big thing, isn't it? How can you have a fresh start when you've got one massive classic PSG drama, perhaps on a new scale altogether, going on at the same time? Um, but May, may I think they would probably want to say you know, that's the, this is the last one. You know, this is the the point at which things change. But TBC, we will see. Um, but evidently, it was enough for Luis Enrique to to take the job. 
Yeah, I mean, look, there's been a clear out, right? So Icardi's gone. Obviously, he was away on, on loan last season, but he, he's gone for good. Lionel Messi's gone off to Inter Miami. Sergio Ramos has left the club as well. There is discussion potentially around the departure of Kylian Mbappe. And it looks as if that there are rumours that the Neymar might be following him out the exit door. Now, I can't see all of them going, if, if I'm honest. But I, I do think there's something in the fact that the players that have come in are a different kind of star. And I think that you look at Manuel Agate, I think he's a perfectly, perfectly good signing for them. Um, you know, a young defensive midfielder, capable of getting around the pitch, of being able to break up play at the base. is something that they've really missed since I think Danilo decided that he's actually just now a centre-back. And they've kind of not ever really filled that hole. Lucas Hernandez comes in as a seasoned French international with a good career there at Bayern Munich for, for a time. Canning and Lee comes in from Mallorca. I think that's a really exciting signing. The kind of young manager that, you know, young player that managers would like to work with and mould. Arnaud Tenas has come in to provide competition to uh, Gigi Donnarumma in goal and looks like maybe Kaylor Navas will go out as a centre. It just feels like they're signing a different type of player. And maybe it's that level of star without being a superstar. And it feels like there's something moving in the water that, that suggests PSG are on a better trajectory. Well, that's, that's, you know, that's the, the, the line, I suppose. That's the narrative they want to build and create. Um, and you're right. I think that is evidenced in... The, the recruitment that they have done, you know, there was a lot of talk towards the end of the season. You know, it was a really you know, grim end to last year, um, which is, is very surprising when you're talking about a title winner. And I know, I know PSG win the league every year, but uh, more or less, they don't actually, they, they haven't won it as many times by and have in the last decade, but um, they, it, the performances, the atmosphere around the club, and not just to do with the messy stuff, but the performances, uh, it was, it was so insipid. Um, you just had the sense that there wasn't that buy-in. It really did feel like the the peak of a team of individuals, um, the cliche, but it genuinely felt like that. What you have now is, and, and what you had in that period was, you know, we're gonna we're gonna regenerate with younger younger players, French players. I don't think the French element has really um, been followed up so much. Um, mm. I think there are elements that you mentioned, Luca Hernandez, Usman Dembele is obviously pretty close now, um, and you know we've seen Warren Zaire Emery. He played quite a considerable role in uh, pre-season. Uh, but there is a younger feel, definitely. Uh, the likes of Kangin Lee. Um, Ugarte's not that young, admittedly, but you know he's still got his best years ahead of him. Uh, 22 seems pretty young. I give you the credit, the benefit of the doubt here. Yeah, so... <laughs> I'm getting confused with Luca Hernandez in my mind here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> All over the shop, um, but yeah. So you you have that, that those players. Goncalo Ramos is 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 close as well, um, and I think once you start to put these type of players in terms of their their character profiles, you wouldn't normally necessarily associate them with what PSG have done in the past. And you know, obviously, we associate PSG with the big Galactico signing, the big name signings. Um, but if you're going to change the dynamic within a dressing room. Are you going to change the culture within an institution? Then you're going to have to make signings like this. And I think also for Luis Enrique, it's quite important. I think we saw this with Spain, his desire to work with younger players yeah. to instill his ideas for them to be more malleable. And I think that also will need to apply at, at PSG. And um, and and yeah, I think that's 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 certainly been 
been borne out and they've yeah the other the other elements of their recruitment i think as well is just the way in which they have to address the imbalances because part of the the problem last year was just how imbalanced their squad looked you know they they set out at the start of the season with christophe gautier saying in his opening press conference um i'm going to play with the back three and then don't don't bring in enough center backs um and the the knock-on effect of that was really evident when obviously we had the champions league as injury struck um but then even at the other end of the pitch with with Messi and Mbappe, they're like the focal point and a nine. And it just, these were glaring holes. And I think they knew that, that these were holes, but this is PSG and success now or, or trouble. And that's that's going to be another element because, you know, how much time will they allow a, a project change to take place? Because it's not like they haven't spent money. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I think, I mean, it leads us nicely onto the Mbappe thing because it does make me laugh a little bit that we've been sitting here and Kylian Mbappe has spoken time and time again of his desire not to play as the number nine or the pivot as he calls it, to actually play off, you know, a centre forward in the mould of the way that he gets to play off Olivier Giroud for for France. And then suddenly the season where it all looks like it's, you know, going to end sourly for Kylian Mbappe, they bring in that number nine in Gonzalo Ramos. And uh, it just, there is an element of kind of tragic comedy, I think, about all of it in that, if he had done this, if PSG had done this at the start of the window, maybe things would be completely different. And yet here we are once again, even with this new PSG, if you will. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It is true. And I think, you know, the thing is with Mbappe, I mean, the numbers he was posting last season and even even Messi as well, the numbers were still fantastic. He still didn't wasn't to his detriment, but quite clearly, and you see this with France, he's a kind of player that would thrive off a, off a, off a nine. Um and I also think uh, the midfielders within the team will look a lot better um, when they're not having to compensate for those in front of them, i.e. Messi dropping into a far deeper role than, than leading the attack line. And, and, and the knock-on effect that that had for their whole shape, it was all very muddled. But with, with Mbappe, yeah, it's, I think a lot of it is to do with you know, Karim Benzema leaving Real Madrid and Madrid needing a goal scorer. And potentially there is a worry there that that, that, that ship would sail. Obviously, that's a, whether Real Madrid would want to to let Mbappe go, even after the difficulties they had, you know, last year, of course, when Mbappe yeah. signed his contract, Real Madrid were close and they were bitten hard by the fact that he didn't join them. Um, and now, you know, relations have become very, very sour and they obviously left out of the preseason tour of Japan and South Korea. Um, he's training in the loft, as they call it in France, uh, the bomb squad, as it's probably more easy to refer to here. Um and there's there's this very real standoff that at the moment doesn't seem like it's going to be resolved at least the way the club wants it to you know the club for them they don't want to lose Mbappe for free that's their sort of red line they have posited that he's always said that he wouldn't leave for free um but it's you know and, and they they are convinced that he's already agreed to join Real Madrid um next summer um, they might have a point, and you know, they might oh, they may have a point. But the, the other the flip side is that you know Mbappe is playing is is basically filling you know is honouring the contract that he signed. You know, and it goes back to that contract, which was a two year deal with an extension. He hung up you know the twenty twenty five from the back of the shirt. Um, it was actually to twenty twenty four, and only Mbappe could decide to extend it, and he decided he wouldn't extend it, and that's basically led PSG to this response. Um, and I think also a lot of it is, you know, 
following on from how Messi was treated, I, even at the time when, when Messi was suspended, it was, would, would Mbappe get treated this way? Would Mbappe have this? And in fairness, he, he has been treated the same way. Um, trying to put the club above players and, you know, it's... But fundamentally, the outcome is a consequence of everything that's gone before. You know, giving a contract to a player that is just ridiculously expensive, um, one that gave the power to the player. It's a bizarre... Um, I've never I've never heard of anything like this in football, yeah. or at least in European football. The idea that the player has the capacity to extend the contract but not the club is, like, bizarre. Yeah. It is it is really unusual. Um and and PSG may pay a quite a heavy financial price for it. You know, I think they I think the, the main concern is more for, is financial fair play and the extent of the contract um and not getting the fee. Um but for Mbappe, you know, he can play for that final season, whether he plays, let's see, but play for that final season, go for free, take the the signing on bonus that would could he could be put into a fee if they if they'd wanted to and and that's it. I mean, how this will play out is really interesting. He's not training this week with uh, Luis Enrique's main group um, in Poissy. Um, that means I, I cannot see him being involved against Lorient in the opening game of the season. Will that continue through August? What happens once the window shuts? Um, does Florentino Perez come to the table? I mean... I don't really see why he would. Why? I, why? I think, no. Yeah, it is. We had a discussion about this on on one of our postbox episodes on a Monday. We were talking about the idea that what happens if a player has signed a contract to play and they are training and not being selected by the manager or not being allowed to to train with the senior group. And I think that in Mbappe's case, it's a particularly potent scenario because of the fact that there's a European Championship. Mm. at the end of next season. And you get to that point and you go, at what point do the France Federation, if PSG stand by their line and they say, we are not including Kylian Mbappe in the squad this season, he has betrayed the club or, or however they want to, to phrase it. I'm not saying that's the right thing, but I'm just mm. if that's how PSG posit the situation and they say, we are relegating him to play with the under-21s until the end of the season unless he leaves in January you'd imagine that someone at the France Football Federation is going, hang on, that's our best player and our best hope of winning the European Championships next year. We cannot have him sitting and rotting in the under-21s for a year because it's going to come back to bite us all. And it leaves this really bizarre situation on the table where if nobody comes in from Bappe, what do they do? Mm. It's not just that. There's the, the Olympics in France as well. You know, hometown Olympics, once in a generation thing. Mbappe will want to be involved in that. Uh, there's a state level element to it. And there has there was when he, he re-signed his contract with yeah. you know, Emmanuel Macron saying, you know, you should stick around, you know, be quite good for the French state. Um, so there's, there's a whole other level to it. And I, where it is really interesting, and, and we did a piece on this in The Athletic outlining the legal sort of situation is because he's in the loft or the bomb squad, but under French, uh, well, French sport law and French employment law, you know, Mbappe can't stay in the position he's in now, like training separately after September 1st. You know, clubs are allowed to have a, a bomb squad or a loft with players in it that you don't see as part of your plans until September 1st, till the end of the summer window. After that point, he has to be reintegrated and uh, providing some other uh, clauses, for example, like, you know, if there is a separate group, it has to be at least 10 players, they have to have all the same equipment and it has to be justified on sporting reasons. Um, so PSG will have to bring him back into 
the main group for training. That doesn't mean necessarily they'll have to play him, um, but it does change the dynamic somewhat once you have a player back in the group that you've made such a big deal about not wanting to be in in your plans. Um, how does that affect the group? How does Luis Enrique take that? How does he want to manage that? Is he going to be happy with a player of that ability that he can't use but is training every day? I mean, it's worth in training, you'd imagine, as well. Well, yeah. Um, how do the teammates feel about it? What ha- what happens to the dynamics within the group? I mean, this is this is it's 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 not a scenario that you'd want at all. It's not a conducive. It's not conducive to success. It's not conducive for anyone. Um, but the club would say, well, this is the line we have to take. You know, this is this we've been betrayed here and unfortunately you know he's gonna have to pay the price for it um but it will be really interesting particularly once we get to the end of the window and and what they do because if if if, if PS, you know i mean just to just to clarify like if if they kept him in the bomb squad going for the rest of the season or dropped him to the reserves or whatever then mbappe would have legal recourse to to bring up with him um so it's uh yeah no dramas at psg this season it's no it's gonna be plain sailing it's a new era Done. Absolutely. Um, just a word on Neymar, and then we'll come mm. back to the positives, because I think there are some really big ones that I just want to touch on before we go. Um, there have been reports today that Neymar has apparently decided that he wants to leave as well. Now, there are reports, obviously, that there are links to Ousmane Dembele. There were murmurs in the press and in the French press last week that Neymar was offered to Barcelona as a sort of loan deal as part of that. I, I don't necessarily buy any of that as being specifically true but I think it's interesting that his name is being thrown around in this discourse yeah it is interesting I mean Neymar to Barcelona with with what money is the um is the obvious question but Neymar's situation is interesting you know he's his contract as far as I understand it runs until 2027 now and it's a good contract you know um who's gonna want to take him um, <laughs> that's that's the the thing um who's gonna want to be able to take him from from that contract uh whether psg would want to keep him is the is the other element um you know it's been six years of a bit like to dembele really the, the parallels between the two are quite extraordinary really in terms of fitness and not not basically being able to play to the level you'd want i think with neymar we've seen that his when he does play he's, he's been fantastic generally for, yeah. for for PSG like is when you actually look at the numbers and, and his contributions it's there's no doubting his ability obviously he's come back from a from ankle surgery some quite serious surgery looked looked okay during preseason got 90 minutes against Sean Book um but he is he's a, again a symbol of what's gone before you know he's part of that Galacticos era and in inverted commas and yeah. um him moving on would also be fitting with what PSG are, are trying to do. And I think they wouldn't mind moving him on if his salary's as big as, as we know it to be and, and how that impacts their financial fair play situation. So uh, he's, he's sort of a player that seemed to me is, is kind of stuck. I mean, back end of last season, there was the protest, of course, after Nate, after Messi's suspension and they, they spilled out to, you know, with fans, some fans going to his house um, in a little uh, village called Bougival, which is near to the, the training ground, a really picturesque um, uh, town where he's got a big house where Ronaldinho used to live in. Um, and he was really shook up by that, by all accounts, you know, the the, the chanting and, and, the, and the way that those protests unfurled. And it felt like, is that going to be a moment that goes, actually, it's going to force him out the door a little bit. But uh, as with a lot of players at that level, and I mean, I guess it's similar with Mbappe, considering the, the money involved, there aren't many doors open to them uh so even if he wanted to 
I mean, we're looking at what I know you mentioned Barcelona, but I, 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 it's so difficult to see that happening. Um, you're looking at Saudi, you know, they did make a, a big offer for him at the start of the summer. Do they come in again with that? Does he want to, to go that way and give up what is quite a nice life in Paris? So like there, there's, yeah, there's a lot of variables to that. And, and above all, what does Luis Enrique want to do? Um, is he, is there going to be a rekindling of that, you know, brilliance of the treble winning team and that front three, or is this a different time now, a different era? Is this, is, is Neymar, you know, as we were talking about young players that will buy into what Luis Enrique will want to do is, is Neymar that. So it's interesting. I, the reports are, are interesting and I think it, they are reflective of a situation that no one's overly comfortable with at the moment. But also it, to me, it looks like a situation that isn't necessarily going to change at this point, unless there are some, some, some magic money in, in Catalonia or, or some, some more real money in Saudi Arabia. There's uh, there's always a lever to pull. Is it? Is well, how I've, how yes. I've learned of the last couple of years, if nothing else, that's what I've got. <laughs> um, let's talk a little bit about the positives because actually, you look at this squad now, and I really quite like the balance of it. And let's just keep Mbappe's name out of it for a little mm. while. But what we've seen in preseason, I think obviously we've seen a lot of different defensive lineups and and a lot of different midfields. But actually, the midfield rotations have been really interesting. Warren Zara and Emery, you, you mentioned at the top, I think is is one who could really have a, an explosion this mm. season under Luis Enrique, and especially in these midfield threes that he seems to really favour. You know, the, this traditional kind of positionalism, if you will. Um, but. I think the Verratti, an interesting one in that obviously there was Saudi money potentially on the table for him as well, but that hasn't seemed to have gone through. And I think he'll actually enjoy playing under Enrique. And then you sort of look at someone like Ethan Mbappe, who, who's had a, an interesting kind of bop around in preseason. But just generally, Carlos Soler and Fabian Ruiz have both played under Enrique at the Spanish international level. I just think he will love Vitinha because Vitinha strikes me as the kind of player who will fit seamlessly into what, Enrique wants to do and did so at Porto in those sort of link-up roles, is able to play in a two and a three at Porto. It was really interesting watching him develop there. And then you have Ugarte, who feels like he's going to be the, the sort of base six that, that works off this. And even if his passing game is a little bit weak, I think what he brings in off the ball positioning and, and, and that kind of ball recovery feels like a really nice balance. So I look at this midfield and I'm just sort of sitting here nodding, going, I, I think that's up there. You know, we talked a lot this summer about Real Madrid's midfield and why it should be one of the best in the world. And I think that it is top of that pile. But I don't think that this PSG midfield, we haven't even mentioned someone like Renato Sanchez there, right? Who hasn't hasn't quite featured because of these injuries, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. But when you look at that, you go, there aren't many midfielders on the planet better than this. No, it's, 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 it is a strong midfield. And I did feel sorry for the central midfielders last year, going back to the points I mentioned before, just in terms of balance. You'd have Vitinha having to fill in up front in a centre-forward role when Messi drops deep. You'd have Soler doing that. It's just rotations. It's just it's just what happens in a team, but um, playing playing in that kind of system for balance. And it just, it was, it for them, it just lessened their game so much. Um, and I think you're right. I completely agree in terms of tactically how well they sort of suit what Enrique wants to do, what Enrique wants to do. Um, you've got with Luis Enrique he quite likes his central midfielders to be a bit more box to box rather than just the yeah. creators um, that suits the likes of Fabian Ruiz that, that would suit Carlos Soler I think 
where they still need to obviously strengthen an attack and it didn't help that Kang and Lee's had a had a knock in preseason and you'd had Vitinha playing wide and because Carlos Soler playing wide as well I know he can do that but they're not natural roles for them but no. in their actual positions you've got you know even even at the six and and Agate is the one that's like oh how's Luis Enrique going to do this because he's always had Busquets basically Barcelona and, and Spain um, in his recent roles um, Agate is not that but you also have Verratti as an option as a rotation maybe and that that seems like a perfect position for him in certain games um i think we'll see more as you say from vitinha um it it just feels better balanced like it feels like you're going to use players in the right way in their right positions what they're best equipped to do um I, you know obviously the forward line still needs those numbers once dembele comes through that helps uh once ramos comes through that helps yeah um and then defensively as well, they, they, with Skriniar coming in, adding a bit more depth. You know, Kimbembe's had his injury issues, but you've got him, Marquinhos, Danilo. Um, for a team that has just felt so imbalanced, um, that no longer feels like such a such of an issue. So, looking forward to seeing how they adapt and how his philosophy you know, instills and how they how quickly they adapt to this this his style of play because even though even someone like Lee you know a player who likes to drift in off the off the wing can play on either side is really good dribbler um it just it just feels like the right kind of fit so um let's see I mean there are there are the, the uncertainties I think one of them before Ramos was came in was you know what's he going to do with Asensio Asensio is this kind of is a is a great player evidently but just where where's he where's he best you know with Spain he's playing his false nine in preseason he's playing his false nine and thinking Surely not. He's not going to be doing that this season. But he's, he's he did the World Cup. He did. He did. Um, so let's see. But it's an option. This is the thing. It's an option. He can go with a sensor as a false nine, or he can go with a recognised nine and Gonzalo Ramos. He can play him off the right. He can play Lee off either flank. Um, the team can play advanced. Yeah, Dembele off either flank. You know that's that's great, particularly for a coach who wants to play a positional system where it's all about rotation. So. Yeah, it's, there are some really positive signs from the from the squad building that they have done. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and I think just you know on ball and off ball, I think that you're bringing kind of touching it at the top, but feels like the right kind of experience. Asensio, you know, an experienced player at the top level at this point, but with a relatively calm head. Luca Hernandez, an experienced player at this top level, who okay, all right, not as calm a head as Asensio, <laughs> but doesn't feel like he's going to be you know a rash, brash presence in the changing room. I think that these are the things that you look at and you go, yeah, sensible business. Milan Skriniar, yes, okay, didn't end particularly well at Inter, but I think that this move has been courted for the last two years. So it's not like this is sort of news to anyone that he's come in here. And I imagine he'll bring a little sense of that leadership. And that all feels good to me. I suppose there's a little bit of a question over Ginny Donnarumma, Peter, in the fact that obviously Arno Tenas has come in. He was pretty good for Spain, I thought, across the course of the Under-21 Championships. Now, that's not a load of football and he hasn't played pretty much any senior football he's been knocking around a La Masia in Barcelona's B team but he is a keeper that likes to play out from the back he is a keeper comfortable with the ball at his feet and those have been the questions asked over Donnarumma over the last year or so after he kind of took the gig full time off Keylor Navas where do you see it yeah it's it is really interesting with Donnarumma um you know last season he he was undisputed first choice that's first time for a while I think uh, I think I wrote a piece today on PSG squad that he's the first keeper since Sirigu in 2012 to play 38 league appearances, which, which is a stunning prob- stat, which is you know quite surprising, I suppose. But 
even so, there were still those those questions about, as you say, his ability on the ball. I don't think there's any doubt about his shot stopping abilities. One of the best in the world at that, if not um, the best. Um, yeah. He's. It just feels a bit amplified with Luis Enrique coming in because we know how much he values, obviously, a possession-based style, but also his goalkeepers being very good with their feet and the, with their distribution. I don't think Tenas, uh, sorry, Tenas comes in and changes, you know, the number one spot overnight. It's just a very interesting addition. A young player clearly will have the view of, of wanting to compete for the number one jersey, whose strengths lie with, with his feet um, and how Donnarumma adapts, how much it sort of affects PSG because it, Donnarumma's, you know, he's not the worst in the world. He's, you know, he's, let's, let's not make out that he's, no, uh, he's, he's... He's perfectly fine. He's just not... You wouldn't be like, oh, a really good ball-playing keeper. Exactly, exactly. Um, and how much will that matter to Luis Enrique? And I think that's just an area to watch this season. I, there's no doubt that Donnarumma will be number one this season. He's played pretty much all the preseason games. Um, Keno Navas, I don't think, will we'll hang around either. So like, that's, that, that's kind of set in stone. But how it develops, what it looks like, how comfortable he is in those games um, will be really interesting. Really interesting. Final question, Peter. Does, can, is there any world where you see PSG not winning the title this season? I know that's not always success in the French capital. And I think mm. that that's something that needs to be examined in further detail at some other point. But is there a world where you see them not winning the league? Because I don't think I can see one. No, and, and that, that's a lot to do with also the strength of you know, their rivals as well. I feel... The changes that have, that have happened at Lens are quite extensive, uh, particularly losing Saka Fofana and Luis Appenda. Um Marseille have, have, have looked like they've done okay with their recruitment, but I just they're not on the same 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 planet as as, as PSG. So no is the answer, I don't think. Um, so that's but that's you know as you say that's that's the bread and butter what's interesting is how they play those games what what are the performance is like are we going to get six months like we did at the back end well at the start of 2023 which just felt very run-of-the-mill um so let's see let's see um obviously in paris europe is what counts um mm-hmm. but i do think as well the way you're playing games once things fall apart in europe does the season fall apart um and if it does, then your, your head's on the line if you're a coach. But that's where you know instilling a philosophy is supposed to help with that. So we shall see. Can PSG win the Coupe de France for the first time in three years? The big questions that we're going to answer. We're going to be talking a little bit more about some of those rivals in part two, where I'm going to be joined by Get French Football News editor, senior editor, Luke N. Twistle. So don't go anywhere. But for now, thank you so much, Mr. Peter Rutzler. No, thank you for having me, Jack. It's been fun. It's been a lot of fun. We'll be back after the break. Don't go anywhere. The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Border Patrol agents enjoy great pay, outstanding federal benefits, and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives for newly appointed agents. If you are looking for a way to serve something greater than yourself, consider the United States Border Patrol. Learn more online at cbp.gov careers usbp. That's cbp.gov slash careers slash USBP. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. 
Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Welcome back to Ranks FC and our League Art season preview. I'm delighted to say that I am joined by Mr. Luke Entwistle, the senior editor of Get French Football News. Luke, it's a real pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thanks for joining me. Thanks very much for having me on. All right, so I'm really excited about this. So we've done the PSG bit, and I think that, that angle is, is fine and lots of fun, and there's lots of things going on there. But I'm excited to get into the weeds of this a little bit, because while so much of the coverage does surround PSG, I think there's so much entertainment in Liga, and, and, and a little bit sometimes like the Bundesliga. I mean, it wasn't as, as tight in either league as, as perhaps a week. I hoped it would be last year. But generally, I think that a lot of the fun comes... In, in the kind of bits below the, the team that tend to run away with the title. And, and I'm excited to kind of work through some of the other interesting summers that have been had. So I think maybe the easy way to start things off is to say, which clubs have a shot at challenging for the title this season? And if not being a genuine title challenge, who's going to be in that big race for Europe? So I think that there's going to be a slight drop off from Lons. I mean, Lons got so close to the title of this like last season. It, it didn't really feel like it at times, but ultimately they finished just one point behind PSG. So that was actually a very close from the race. As I say, it didn't feel like it, but it turns out it, it kind of was. And they were on the really close, but they've lost a few players this year. Uh, Losa Penda has left. Seko Fafon has left. Kevin Danso will stay. That's, that's a big plus for them. But I think you can reasonably expect for them not to challenge to that degree again especially since they will be competing in the Champions League and okay they've done some bits of business in the transfer window and the youth looks like a brilliant pickup but I think that they they'll be in the race for the European places but I would see them dropping significantly back that, that's my hunch for this season so I think we can maybe discount Mars this season but I think that Marseille should come back stronger and I really like how Ren are lining up this season. And they could be a bit of a surprise package because I think that, I mean, can you call them a surprise package? They've got an incredible like arsenal of, of attacking wealth, but it just really wasn't very utilised last season. And they were probably the most disappointing side in terms of what you get on paper and then what you got when you sat down and watched them. There was a massive disparity there in terms of what you were expecting to get. So I think that they could do some special things this year, especially with Ludwig Blast and Zola Faye coming in, like two very, very promising players. Still, I mean, Ludwig Blast, not so young anymore, but in Zola Faye, very much still a developing player. But two players that know league out so, so well. And I think they'll really complement all of those kind of developing stars in that side. So I think that they could do something quite special. I, I'd back them for a top three. Uh, and then Marseille is the other interesting one. I mean, Igor Tudor's Marseille really tailed off towards the end of last season, but for the most part, they look pretty good. Um, they've done some nice bits of business as well. And it's Miles Sarza 
it seems like that's a quite an intelligent pickup. Aubameyang, who knows what you're going to get from him. Um, Imam and Dai from from Sheffield United. That's that's a really nice purchase as well. And you've got a bit of experience in there now as well. I mean, Jeffrey Kondogbia, uh, Renan Lodi. You know, these players have been around uh, the European clubs, uh, so they should bring something to this side. Marcelino, interesting choice for manager, but I, I think that he could surprise a few people, and he will kind of set. A, I don't know. He's going to go for the four four two. It's going to be probably quite simple football in many ways, but it's going to be quite refined in its own way. So I think that he could also potentially challenge. I mean, we're talking about. Are we talking about a title challenge? I don't fully know. Um, I don't know how close anyone's going to get to PSG this season. And um, I mean, I'm not sure what Peter said on PSG, but I, I feel as though Luis Enrique um, should bring a bit of sophistication to this PSG side and what they've done uh, alludes to a, a pretty dominant league and campaign but you know we're not going to get back into that but I'd expect those two to be the, the two closest challenges um, of course there is a bigger European fight this season because there are going to be four European Champions League sorry, places rather than the three so that really brings a few other teams into play as I say I think Lots will drop back but still be in that race Lille are a bit of a question mark because power offense sector I thought by the end of the season really got a handle on that side and they were playing some really nice football. Uh, but there's not been the reinvestment this summer. And I think that that could be an issue for them. If you keep Jonathan David, you know, anything's possible. It looks like it might. So that's one to keep an eye on. Monaco, they need to, well, they've had a complete reboot basically this summer. Thiago Scuro coming in, replacing Paul Mitchell, Adi Hutter coming in, uh, replacing, uh, not Paul Mitchell, Philippe Clement. So they've had a complete reboot. They've not had massive spend. They have obviously got the disaster money to spend now. And uh, I was speaking on Monday, and they just had a, apparently a bid rejected for following Balogun. So they will splash a bit of cash. So let's see where they get. And also they miss out on all European football last season. Easy calendar, reduced league and season, 18 teams. You know, I, I think that they could do something given that they don't have any European football. And then you're guessing to your kind of your nieces. And I mean, <laughs> nieces is one that you could speak about for about 20 minutes if you wanted to. But um, I'm sure that <laughs> I'm sure that that'll be a little bit too much. But niece are an interesting topic. I mean, they have kind of pitted on uh, Francesco Farioli. Um, he works under Roberto De Zerbi at Sassuolo. And it's a huge bet. He's had one full season in Turkey, fifth place with, I think it's Alanya Sport. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's not, it's not, you know, there's not a large data set there to say that, yes, this guy can replicate what deserves to do to Bryce and Hovagman. So we'll see where that bet takes them. But there is a very concerted effort by everyone at that club, uh, media department, hierarchy, to really lower expectations. I think that they're trying to lower expectations so that for once they can you know, surpass them because uh, they certainly haven't done that for many, many years. Last year was uh, an unmitigated disaster. I think you could fairly term it as, term it as and um, they've now got rid of lots of those elements. I think that there are a couple of elements they could have kept. I mean, Ramsey, I think, ultimately wanted to go, but I think that by the end of the season, he kind of convinced people that he was, you know, he fit in the side and it was still useful at this level, but he has gone. And, and apart from that, the, the arrivals haven't been too many of them. Jeremy Boga, which one are you going to get? Are you going to get the Atlanta version or are you going to get the Sassuolo version? Uh, and then you've got Morgan Sanson, who it, it feels like a, a shrewd buy, but, you know, 
wait and see. Uh, Leon should be there. They could get absolutely pillaged for all of their youth products. Uh, Barcola, Lukeba, uh, Cherky, even, who knows? Um, I think a lot depends on that. I think that there's lots of uncertainty around the club. The, the vibes, as it were, aren't good. Laurent Blanc being like sarcastic in post-match pre-season friendlies, joking that he wouldn't be in the position at the start of the season, I think is a pretty poor basis upon which to start your season. But but who knows? Uh, there is talent in that side and they could do something. It just feels as though um, their season could just go one of, one of two ways. And it, it could be another kind of mid-table finish for them. Who knows? It feels like we've been saying who knows about Leon for the last half a decade. And and, and the same topics come up over and over again. It's this incredibly talented core coming through the academy. It's, you know, all of these players being in danger of being sold off. And then it's like, okay, this is a reset. We're going again. We're bringing in some new youngsters. I, I think Chiletta Saar is a, is a decent bit of business. You know, you bring in someone who... I think was shine and 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 seems to have found his feet a little bit. It didn't go brilliantly at Southampton, but I equally don't think that he was fully at fault for any of the mess that sort of surrounded him at, at various places. So you're looking at Leon, and, and we're having that conversation all over again. But I am intrigued by Marcelino at Marseille to go back to the top of of, of that list, and I think that. What we saw from him at Valencia when he won the Copa del Rey there with that 4-4-2 and then when he won and went the, the Supercopa with Athletic Club, again, it, it felt very much like the the kind of we are getting more out of these players than maybe the sum of their parts are worth. And I think that when you're going to get to that point, it's all very confusing. And, and I was really surprised no one picked him up last summer when he agreed to step down from Athletic Club. So... So him to come in at Marseille in a period where they started last season so well, I think if I remember correctly, it was their you know record points total after 10 games or 11 games in, in a Ligue 1 season. For them to tail off that way, just to go back to basics, feels like a pretty smart manoeuvre. And, and this squad does on paper look like it has all the component parts to be quite useful in a 4-4-2. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing is you say go back to basics, but it feels like they go back to basics at the start of every single season and then uh, and then something goes wrong along the way you know and it, it feels the same every season I, I think that Marseille changes managers it drives them a little bit crazy uh, I think that by the end of Tudor's reign he, he completely lost it yeah. he, he said it you know when he left you know I'm exhausted and I'd rather take basically a year out than have another year at this club because it's just driven me to insanity so let's see how Marcelino takes it uh, he as i say he's and, and as you point out as well i think that you know it, it's slightly slightly petered out maybe at, at athletic but overall that was you know two very positive stints and to come into league as a manager who has already built reputation because lots of managers come into league to build their reputation yeah uh Farrow but you know he's coming point right yeah well yeah um so you know, for him to come in at, at this stage of his career, it's it feels like a it's an appointment for now. It's it's an appointment to construct a squad in his image to challenge for the big trophies now. With this idea that maybe PSG won't be what they were, with you know Neymar apparently wanting to leave, with Mbappe on the way out, with uh, Messi already having departed, with Verratti, this anchor kind of does he still have the legs in it? So I I feel as though Marseille sniff. You know, they sense blood and they're going in for the kill with this appointment. It's let's get an experienced manager 
who can handle this dressing room. We know it's a known quantity and we're going to give him the players that he wants immediately and we're going to try and construct something of a title charge. And, you know, failing that, maybe we can get the Coupe de France and maybe we can do a bit better in Europe. So it feels very much as though they're, they're prioritising it now. It doesn't feel like like many projects do in the ground, that it feels as though they're going to come to fruition in three or four years, and obviously not all of them do, and many of them, you know, it's lots of cycles stopping, restarting. Uh, but with them, it feels as though it's for them, it's for the now. And I don't know, mostly, you know, it, it, it could bring... It could bring a slightly tighter type of race and you know, the Marseille managed last season, but I think that he could also do better in the cups because he has done previously well in the cups. And I think that Marseille just desperately need a silverware and I think that he could potentially bring it. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree. I completely agree. And I, I think it's interesting. Obviously the cup is is something that's been sort of a little bit up in the air for a couple of years, right? It's not like in other countries, I suppose, where it feels like one of the big guns is always winning the cup. We, we've got to that point, I think, which is quite nice in in France, where, you know, we have seen teams knock PSG out of the cup, and maybe that's to do with the fragility that PSG have shown in, in knockout competitions, fine. But I think it adds an extra dynamic to the season that perhaps you don't get quite as much elsewhere. Yeah, I, I think that, I mean, obviously we're only down to one cup competition now. And, um, you know, so it's few and far between. The excitement last year in, in French football, truthfully, felt few and, and far between. But that Marseille, that classique in the Coupe de France where Marseille knocked out uh, PSG and Malinowski with that long-range streamer, uh, then Marseille getting knocked out against Ansi, these kind of freak results were just very, very exciting. And, of course, the last two seasons you've had not, you know, a team that had been struggling at the bottom in the final to lose winning it last year, uh, not winning it the year before that, that final against Nice and a couple of years ago was, was one of the worst 90 minutes of football I've seen yeah. um, in the past decade. But, you know, bar that, it was, an, it was an exciting and interesting club campaign and, and it was the same last year. So you, you could maybe, I mean, it's hard to say, it, it, you can't say expect a surprise, can you really? But uh, it always feels as though these competitions are a little bit more open and there's not really any rhyme or reason for that because it's not as if Marseille, when they lost against Annecy, just kind of put in a B team. It's not as though PSG did that against Marseille either. It just it just didn't happen. Uh, and it, it's really hard to, to put your finger on why, but it, it makes it exciting. And at least for the last couple of years, as I say, I, I think that the majority of the excitement or a loss of the excitement from French football has come from the Coupe de France. So, you know, want a little bit more excitement in, in Ligue 1 this season, but also want the Coupe de France to, to still provide these great moments as it has done in recent years. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, I wanted to just briefly touch on, on Toulouse, actually, you know, speaking of it, because an incredible year for them as, as a newly promoted side. I mean, I don't think it gets much better than that, really, if, if we're being perfectly honest. But, if you look at their window, obviously Branko van der Boomen's has left and, and gone off to Ajax. And that feels like a big blow because of how important he felt to this team. But I do just think that you look at this and there have been other key, um, you know, key elements that have, they've managed to hang on to. And, you know, watch them a little bit in preseason. I'm still convinced, you know, most people are, you know, have go to bed thinking about random things. I go to bed most nights thinking that I'm wondering when Tyce Delinger is going to become a top, you know, a top <laughs> six striker because I believe that he has everything that he needs to do. And I think that some of the performances in preseason have given me real hope that they might be able to kick on a little bit. Maybe not, you know, to a, a European spot. Obviously, they have European football, you know, via the cup, but not into a European squad in the league. But I just, have a feeling that this team feel like on their own a good trajectory. 
I'm a bit conflicted when it comes to um, to lose this season because I mean you mentioned he kept quite a few good players, but you know Branko van der Boom was one that left. Also, Stan Spearings, who went yeah. to Mons, I didn't mention him when I, I spoke about Mons, but that is also a really big blow. Uh, there's also the unknown quantity of the new manager coming in. I mean, I think that Philippe Montagnier's dismissal goes up there as maybe the harshest managerial, you know, decision in in well. I, I can't remember a harsher decision than that. And it seems as though basically it was based on data projections. It was, of course, not based on, on anything that, that he'd actually done because what he'd done was brought the club up, stabilised him in the game and won a coup de France in their first year back in the game. It's, it's quite insane. And I felt a bit sorry for him because if the final game of the season was Monaco versus Toulouse um, at the Sudley we do, and I was there in, in the press box for that one, and it was, there's was loads of lovely storylines going on there. For, for Monaco, it was a disaster, but for, for Toulouse, you had Reece Healy making his comeback, scoring the last-minute winner. Didn't really mean anything, but it was a nice touch anyway. And then you had a, a very jovial Philippe Montagnier in the press conference post-match, you know, clearly um, oblivious to, you know, the bus that was about to hit him, basically. And a couple of weeks later, he's out of a job, and... It just it, it, it felt a little bit like a, a season that felt you know that, that ended on a very very sad note. So I, I I don't know what to expect from from Toulouse this season. I mean they are renowned for their scouting. Obviously they're, they're you know they're very intelligent with their scouting. I know that people from their department have since left and, and gone on to, to to bigger jobs, bigger and better things. But um, it feels like there is a project there that is built to last. So I wouldn't expect them necessarily to be relegated or to really struggle, but I do have doubts as to whether they will progress quite as much as they hope they will with their new manager and having made such a divisive decision. I think that you really want to be seeing a big step forward and I'm just not sure if we're going to see that manifest itself uh, on the pitch this year. But yeah, wait and see, as you say, big, big departures. But I'm sure that this, you know, this is a team that's got great capacity for for renewal and i'm sure it will renew itself as well yeah absolutely i mean we're going to move on to a little bit lower down the table in a second but i just wanted to circle back round because i know that monaco is a club close to your heart and and close to where you work and and so i kind of wanted to know what the uncertainty feels like there because obviously there have been some some big departures and as you say there feels like a bit of a clear out of, of some deadwood and then obviously some some big money moves the actual disaster move to, to chelsea feels like it's the first one of maybe to set a chain in, of, of events in motion. And so, like, you know, there's obviously some interesting, really interesting players in this Monaco side. Um, I'm still waiting for Mo Camera to, for someone to realise quite how good he is. Um, but it does feel that, you know, when we're kind of looking at this team, I'm just really uncertain as to what this team looks like. One, on Saturday when the league kicks off, or Friday. But two, on, you know, at the end of this transfer window, how many faces are going to be through the door because yes not a lot of these players that have left were were key parts of the team but it does feel like there's a lot of loans gone back the other way it feels like there's a couple of key elements that are now missing and the incomings just feel a little bit slow on that regard yeah they are a little bit so i mean the whole transfer window is blocked because I mean, we talk about Axel Dissassi leaving. We'll talk about Yusuf Lafana potentially leaving. Both of them were planned departures. Monaco wanted to get them off the books this year. They Their contracts were terminating in 2025 and they wanted to cash in now. This was a strategy of the club and it was very much planned. And when it didn't happen uh, at the start of the window, as they hoped, as they planned, 
uh, potentially due to their awful, you know, end to last season, which I think in the eyes of some clubs maybe diminish their value or maybe put them down on their list of priorities. Um, they just didn't garner the interest that Monaco thought they would, at least not straight away. Uh, so Disassi leaving, although on paper you kind of said this makes them a lot weaker. Yeah, it, I mean, it does. But it was also part of the plan. Yeah. Uh, same with Fafana. If that comes off, also part of the plan. I mean, they've got Mohamed Salah soon from, uh, from Southampton. They're hoping to get Tosin Adarabayo in from Fulham. They're hoping to get Denis Sicario in from Juventus. So there, there are players to come in to replace, but it's all quite slow because it's all based on these departures that they've been, well... The, the De Sassi departure is probably as lucrative as they could have hoped for in the circumstances. Whether they'll get anything close to that fee for the farmer is another thing, but it's all about getting the money in to basically reboot to get the new cycle going. Because this is a new cycle. I mean, it, it started ending last summer. I mean, the, the Monaco project was based on two brilliant duos. It was based on too many for Fafana, Badishil, you know, De Sassi, and obviously the midfield duo got torn apart last season and then uh, the Baddy Shield um, departure in the middle of the season kind of ended things quite, you know, between those two as well. So, you know, the the heart of the project was kind of ripped out within the space of about six months um, and you then need to rebuild. You're right, there are loads of other great players, you know, Anderson, uh, probably not for this summer, but almost certainly for next summer will be a, you know, a real hot target for, you know, Europe's league. Mohamed Kamara, you speak about it, you know, he only joined last summer and had an incredible start and then really tailed off. I think there are some personal misgating factors in there um, from stories in, in French media, but I think you can expect him to bounce back in a big, big way uh, this summer. And, you know, he might be another player who you talk about leaving again next year. This this is the thing with, with Monaco. I mean, I, I speak about the uncertainty and Mitchell's been there since 2020. School Rose coming in. Um, he's come from Red Bull Bragantino. He doesn't necessarily, I mean, he has, because he's part of the Red Bull system, a good knowledge of the European system. However, he is coming from Brazil and he will need time to, really you know, just. get to know his new environment. Uh, Adi Hutter is a, an interesting appointment. His, his stock has certainly decreased after that spell with Borussia Mönchengladbach, uh, though he did kind of hit out <laughs> at the Bundesliga side in his, um, in his press conference when he arrived at Monaco, basically saying that. I was promised money. I came in, there was no money. And the you know, the quality and style of football that we proposed was not what I want. So he, he did kind of, you know, go in on, on British and Munchen back a bit. So let's see if he can bounce back. But the problem is, or not so much a problem, but the project is at Monaco is that you develop players in a cycle and then you sell them all and then you need to renew. And, you know, it, that's contingent and so upon... So forth, yeah. And so on and so forth. And that's contingent upon all elements of the club working perfectly so from the academy which does because so many come through and the recruitment all being right most years so that you can revitalize this team each time and i think that last season i think the you know maybe a couple of missteps in the transfer market to kumi minamino didn't happen you know that that didn't go as people planned there's a lot of a lot of cautious optimism. Does that make any sense? This cautious optimism at the club um, that he will bounce back actually this this year. That last year was a blip, and that we're going to see the real Minamino. So let, let's see on that one. That could be an interesting one to follow. But yeah, there's a couple of players. You know, Mark Sarkman in on loan from Chelsea. That was a disaster. Um, there are just a, a few too many issues like that that meant that they fell just short of the objectives. And let's be honest, they were kind of on course for those objectives. It was just. 
those last 10 games. I think they lost eight in the last 10. And if you want to sustain a Champions League or a European challenge, I mean, that's going to stop it dead in its tracks. And it did. And, you know, you missed out on the last day. But maybe, maybe this cycle of European football can be a bit of a blessing in disguise for them. But, um, yeah, lots of lots of unknowns. I think there may be potentially the biggest unknown quantity this year. Yeah, well, I mean, if you get Minamino and Camera playing the Red Bull way under a Red Bull manager, then things could be very, very exciting at Monaco, I think. So it'd be, it's an interesting one to keep an eye on at the very least. Let's go down to the other end of the table, Luke, because obviously last year we saw four clubs relegated. Um, even then, and, and I don't mean this in a, in a particularly disparaging manner, but even then it felt a bit like not enough because there was so much of a scrap at the bottom for survival towards the end. And it feels like a couple of these teams survived. And you look at them going, I don't know how you managed that. I have absolutely no idea how you've managed to get out of jail there. This season, there's only two automatic relegation spots and then this new playoff, which is going to be played against mm. the winners of the semi-final in Ligue 2. So it all becomes a little bit more, well, I suppose a bit more like <laughs> like the Bundesliga, basically, is the, uh, yeah. is the way that we're looking at it. But generally, how do you feel about the bottom? And is it going to be another sort of, you know, fight to the base? Or is this going to be a, a more of a lively scrap for survival? I think that there are some... I don't know. It is really hard to say this year because I, I think that Mets and Love of you you don't know what you're going to get here. I mean, going into them kind of individually. I mean, we were speaking a little bit before, but Mets have some incredible individual talent that are is is way above the standard of the club. I mean, their George and striker George Nikotatsu is an incredible player that I still and and keep saying can easily play for any you know the top half teams in the Premier League potentially in the top six not as a starter but he is an elite level striker or could become an elite level striker yeah. uh, if he stays I think that Mets season looks completely different to how it looks you know if they don't keep him I think if they don't keep him and a couple of their other assets I think that they're going to have a, a really difficult season um, I mean I remember watching them under Antonetti and it was it was really is difficult to watch. It, it wasn't good football. I mean, Antonetti's known for, for basically being the Sam Allardyce of, of, of Ligue 1 and just basically playing the, the unattractive football that maybe will keep them up. Um, but it didn't keep them up and it was atrocious to watch. So it was the worst of all worlds and it yeah. felt as though the fans hated him. He hated the fans. It was very turbulent. It was, it was dreadful to watch, but they've really bounced back. Uh, not with Antonetti, must be said, um, but they've really bounced back and they could do something this season, as I say, if they keep their assets. And then love, you look at them on paper and you just think that they're absolute relegation fodder. Um, but what that's not appreciated is just how good they were in the last season. I mean, in the season that you had Mets, you had Bordeaux, you had Saint-Étienne, two fallen giants, but, you know, still with some really, you know, some really good players still in there, both Saint-Étienne and Bordeaux, it has to be said. But then to blow the competition away and... I think they only lost one game before the last three games of the season. Something insane like that, I think, is you can't underestimate that. And you have to kind of look beyond the team sheet and say something else is going on here because um, something else clearly is going on. And Matthew Bodmer, um, an interesting character, uh, their sporting director, who uh, at least at the start of last season maybe still does live in the club stadium, um, did an interesting interview with Lakeep saying he watches, I think, a minimum of 50 full games of football every week. Um, very interesting character, completely devoted, absolutely loves it. And he just pulled off 
uh, an incredible transfer window on a shoestring budget, brought in all those players and they all performed and they were comfortably the best side in the league. And then you've got, uh, they've added to that this season. You know, I looked through their list of arrivals and there's nothing that stands out at all in there, yep. truthfully. But you just know that a few of them probably will hit. Uh, to what extent is, is a question, you know, to the extent that they can be um, clear of relegation, that's that's another question. But I, I think there are still issues, notably at FC Nantes. I mean, this is a side that, as we said, won the Coupe de France two years ago, uh, were playing in the knockout stages of the Europa League against Juventus last year, but only just missed out on relegation on the last day of the season. And they have made this pop out, I'd say, decision to stay with Pierre Aristoy, who, who basically uh, masterminded is too kind, but um, orchestrated feels too kind as well. But uh, also in, just kind of did manage to keep... Survival. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, fell into survival on the final day of the season. Uh, they were playing against Oxford. I think it's, I believe it's um, Angers or Oxford. But they were playing against basically a team that had already been relegated. And, it was Angers, um, It was Angers, yeah. I mean, long since relegated. And he keeps them up on the last day of the Last day of the season, I think it was 2-0. I mean, if you're not beating Angers 2-0 last season, what's going wrong kind of thing? And, and that narrowly kept them up. Um, I don't know. I, he's not really proved anything yet. This could be another disastrous start to the season. And then trying to make up for that in the second half of the season, um, they could stay up. But I think that once again, they will be in, in big, big trouble. I, I think those are the three that... And and Brass, who every year I tip for for relegation, but it doesn't, but it doesn't always happen. Uh, I I was dead certain they'd get relegated last season, uh, and somehow they kind of stayed up. So they, they had a few interesting games, Brass last season. Sometimes you're just like, where's this team been all season? And then next season, you know, the next match it's the Brass that you've seen for ninety percent of the season again. But they just about stayed up as well. And I think those four will be in the mix in what order is is the question I'd say. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think you're looking at this non-side and, and especially what they did over the, the transfer window and you're thinking, okay, right, there's some money gone out and then you realise that that money is on low knees from last year coming back in. Uh, I think Pierre-Gabriel's a really interesting one, is the only thing I will say. I'm not sure if it's one that's going to make a difference in terms of surviving, but I think he's an interesting player uh, coming in from Mainz. So th that's about it. And then I think that that's the, yeah. that's the problem with it. There's nothing on here that makes me feel in any way like not might even be anywhere near exactly where they were last year. And that was very nearly not good enough. You know, and, and last of course, year, no, it's yeah, very no, that's fast. No blast is, is a big one. Uh, Pedro Kirabel is a very important player for them, but I don't know. I, I, I don't know how long he stays there because he's clearly better than that club. Uh, if someone comes in for him now or in January, um, is maybe another matter, but it feels as though their midfield, Kirabel, Sissoko, just, you know, that that was just kind of kind of the difference, I think, over the course of the season. And he got rushed back to, to basically fight in that, in that relegation battle right towards the end, Kirabel. So, I don't know currently if they have enough, but Kiribella in midfield is an important element and he'll have to be with them throughout the season and perform well throughout the season, I think, if they're going to if they're gonna stay up, basically. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Luke, thank you so much, so much for coming on Ranks today. It's been a real pleasure having you on. Uh, where can our listeners find you? So, yeah, I'm the senior editor at GFFM, so uh, I'm doing kind of features and news, everything there. Uh, Monaco Life as well, covering it in 
it's Monaco. And then on the Bojo podcast, that's the official Ligan podcast. And I'm also starting a role at Ligan.com. So I'm doing match reports and also the odd feature as well. So yeah, you can catch me there. I say, well, make sure, Rank Squad, you go out and give Luke a follow after that wonderful bit of analysis on here. Luke, thank you. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you very much. Well, thank you so much to both Luke and Peter for their insights on all things French football. Make sure you give both of them a follow over on Twitter or X if you prefer these days. I've been Jack Collins. This has been your Ligue 1 preview show here on Ranks FC. We're going to be back later in the week talking the Premier League on Wednesday's main episode, the standard timing of that episode. And then later in the week, Thursday or Friday, looking at the Bundesliga as well before we head to Italy to round this off next week with Serie A. Thank you so much for listening as ever. If you want more from Ranks FC, please do have a look in the description for a link to our Patreon where we do a Monday post box and a Thursday, Friday think tank every week talking about all the bits and bobs that you want to hear about in football. You can ask those questions as members of the community and we do our best to get round to as much of it as we possibly can. There's also a brilliant Discord community in there as well. But for now, I'll see you on Wednesday. Take it easy, gang. Peace. Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks.